My name's Angelo and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm gonna break down the entire UFC 278 fight card. I'm gonna give you my picks, my predictions, and my bets. But if you want our bets early, if you want DraftKings tools, if you want more information earlier and more often to help you win bets, make money, build winning DraftKings lineups, and much more, become a premium member. Go to wewantpicks.com. At the top, you'll see a button that says become a member. It is only $10 a month. That's it, 10 bucks a month. That's $2.50 a week. We're giving you our bets weeks, if not months in advance. We're giving you DraftKings ownership projections and all sorts of other tools to help you out like exclusive bets, exclusive parlays, and things like that. And every week we like to highlight one of our members that have done incredibly well the week before, the night before. And here we have EG Wrestling. He took second in a $5 contest, a $5 contest. He took home 600 bucks. This is a premium member who went on, looked at the ownerships, looked at the inside, our favorite dog, things like that, and built himself a $6, $600 winning lineup on a $5 dollar entry a few weeks ago joey took down 60 grand frank jodane with thousands of dollars people are doing well become a premium member now we want picks.com at the top click become a member literally a couple of dollars a week you hit one of these bets you pay for months months of service and don't forget as always we're giving away 50 bucks all you need to do is go to we want picks.com slash bets Sign up with any one of our betting partners, make a deposit, and we'll send you 50 bucks as a thank you. That's wheelpicks.com slash bets. Sign up, make a deposit. I'll send you $50. Cash app, PayPal, Venmo, literally however you want it. Listen, UFC San Diego was a wild card, a wild card. But I was still up on picks. We had some solid bets that worked out. The Jason Witt takedown line. We got some Priscilla Cachera action going on. So there were some highlights there, including Jacob hitting his seventh underdog lock of the week if you in a row. If you don't know what that is, Jacob picks one underdog every single week, locks them in, and seven weeks in a row, that underdog has won. Tune in Tuesday nights live to hear his breakdown and what he likes. Guys, let's go ahead and jump right in. We opening up the card. We got Daniel Da Silva taking on Victor Altamirano. Victor Altamirano is more of a traditional martial artist, but he does have a solid MMA game. He's fast, powerful on his feet, and he's also pretty patient and calculated. His takedown defense isn't great, but he sweeps well from bottom, and he has a good enough get-up game to not be ridden out. He's coming off a loss to Carlos Hernandez, where he did showcase his toughness and striking, but ultimately he gave up two takedowns and lost that decision. Daniel Da Silva or Daniel Lacerda, he's known as both or his name changed halfway through his career. I don't know, but when you're doing your own research, look up both of those. He's a very good striker with solid kicks and forward pressure. If he gets it to the ground, he's got really good control and pressure from top, but his takedowns aren't great, so that's not really a guarantee. All 11 wins and three losses are by stoppage, so he's very dangerous, but he is willing to put himself in harm's way to chase his stoppage. He's a legit threat, both standing and on the ground, and it's an interesting betting line. Altamirano is more than a two-to-one favorite, but I think this is a razor-thin fight. I think this should be a pick -em. Both guys are solid strikers with just okay wrestling, but pretty good BJJ. I think De Silva's the better striker and clearly the more dangerous fighter I do wish he had better wrestling to force it to the ground, but I still think he can get this done. Right now, I'm feeling De Silva to get it done. 
even in his last loss to Figueredo, he's the one who got the takedown. Obviously, it didn't end well for him, but Victor is not a Figueredo brother off his back. So I'm going to go the underdog here, but if I'm going to be honest with you, I, I don't love this pick right out of the gate, but I do like Daniel De Silva to get it done because of how incredibly dangerous he is. Then we have a Corey Lang taking on Jay Perrin. Corey Lang's a well-rounded guy with incredible pressure and pace. He can fight a technical fight or brawl it to the bell. He uses his striking to set up takedowns, and we have seen him do a little bit of everything, right? He was able to outgrapple Jeff Molina with three takedowns, and that was a fight of the night. It was a loss, though. And then he outstruck Cody Durden. Also a loss where he was taken down five times. The point being, we've seen him out-wrestle people. We've seen him out-strike people. And even if that fight doesn't go his way, he's still in there. He's still competitive. He's coming off his first UFC win with a knockout over Cameron Elsay in the first round where he had a takedown and landed five times the amount of strikes as Cameron. He's got solid footwork, solid movement, and a very sturdy chin. Jay Perrin is coming off a loss to Mario Batista, where he did step up on short notice to make his UFC debut. And stepping in on short notice and making UFC debut is always tricky, right? So you gotta, I, I, I factor that in when I'm analyzing somebody's loss. Stylistically, he's a well-rounded guy who's primarily looking to wrestle. He comes forward with strikes, and then he shoots. He almost never gets his first shot, so he ends up spending a lot of time against the cage working from there. When he does get you to the ground, he's looking for ground and pound. He's not really chasing submissions. This is an interesting matchup because Corey Lang is definitely the more powerful striker, definitely the better striker, and it's not like Jay Perrin's a stud wrestler, but he can literally hold people against the cage for 25 minutes and win a boring decision. I do think Corey Lang works off the cage, lets his hands go, um, and gets his second UFC win here. Right now, he sits as a minus 190 favorite. That probably sounds about right. If I see the line moving any farther, I might try to beat the curve. But right now, 2-1 to one for Corey Lang sounds correct. I think he gets it done, and I think it's because of his stand-up. Then we got Amir Albazi taking on Francisco Figueredo. Amir Albazi is coming back after a year and a half away, and I'm pretty excited for his return. He's a legit prospect with solid grappling, solid striking, and a high pace. He's very comfortable with his striking style where he's light on his toes, he bounces around really well, and he's got a long jab. The fact that he's light on his toes allows him to very quickly lower his level and snatch up a leg to get it to the ground. On the ground, he's a very slick grappler and isn't just a wrestler looking for control. He will take risks, roll for positions, and try to snatch things up in those scrambles. Amir's very good, but long layoffs always concern me. Francisco Figueredo is the champion's younger brother, and he does have a very similar fighting style, but as I've said before, at 75%, right? He's 75% of what his brother is. He's an aggressive striker with pressure and power who's slick on the ground. But I will say, what I think he does better than his brother is he wrestles and grapples more. He's more willing to push a wrestling pace, and it shows in his stats. He averages three takedowns per fight with a 75% accuracy and a 92% takedown defense. And last time I broke down Francisco, I mentioned that people spend too much time focusing on the fact that he's not as good of his, as his brother instead of focusing on how good he actually is. And while that remains a true statement today, and he is better than people give him credit for, I don't think he's going to be good enough for Amir. Amir should have the better striking, better wrestling, and likely the better grappling as well. I like Amir to win this uh, with a one-sided decision. 
And the only thing preventing me from making Amir a parlay piece is the layoff, right? I, you guys know I'm a little conservative with my bets, and that's a long layoff, and it's not like Francisco sucks, right? He's a good fighter. So I'm very confident in Albazi to win. I'm not necessarily going to make him the tentpole of a parlay. Then we've got my boy, A.J. Fletcher. If you guys remember, I was very high on him versus Matt Semmelsberger. He did give up that fight, but damn, did he look good doing it. A.J. Fletcher is taking on Ange Lusa. A.J. Fletcher is short, jacked, and intense. He's coming off that very close loss to Matt Semmelsberger where he landed more strikes, he had more takedowns, more reversals, more control time, and even scored more points in DraftKings as a loser. The winner gets 30 just for winning, and he still scored more points. So that's how I feel about A.J. Fletcher. He won that fight. Anyway, anyway, if you break down his film, you'll see that there's a lot of knockouts, a lot of knockdowns, everything from head kicks and overhands, but he's not a striker. He's actually a fantastic wrestler and grappler. He does an amazing job with his takedowns where he attacks on his feet, and when you start firing back, he drops and just shoots in with power and speed. Once he hits the ground, he pounds away, and he's just so fast that any movement from his opponent ends up being an opening for him to improve positions. If you guys remember Sean Shirk back in the day, A.J. Fletcher is like a, a new age Sean Shirk. Angelusa had a failed contender series bid last year, but he bounced back on the regional scene with a win over former UFC fighter John Doomsday Howard. Then literally a week later, he stepped up and fought Munir Lezez. To me, it looked like Anj, you know, if he didn't step up on short notice against Munir, that he would have won that fight. Like He did end up losing it, but it looked like if he had a little more preparation, that was going to be a genuine win for him. So again, I like to factor in short notice when I'm looking at some of these losses. Style-wise, Anj is a durable striker with decent volume, solid power, and an incredible chin. He pumps his jab like crazy, and he throws nice low kicks to manage range and keep his opponents backing up. But he does have trouble when you come at him and pressure forward. Similar to what we talked about, David Onama and Nate the Train. We said David Onama is a phenomenal striker, but if you pressure him, he doesn't like it. And that's exactly what happened at UFC San Diego. Angelus, pretty similar style. Angelus is listed at having a 100% takedown defense, which is true. But if you go back and watch the Jack Maddalena fight, he started strong. But after he lost one of the grappling exchanges, he slowed down big time. I see that here as well. I see AJ coming forward, blast double takedowns, and just getting it done. Angelus is very dangerous on his feet, but I think AJ has proven that he's tough and that he can pressure forward. He lost to Semmelsberger because he made a couple of dopey decisions in the third round that gave up a takedown. I don't see that happening here. I think he stays disciplined and he gets his first official UFC. I'm grabbing uh, AJ Fletcher at minus 150. I do expect those odds to move. I expect him to be a bigger favorite than that. I like him at minus 150. And if you want access to all of our bets when we place them, sometimes weeks, sometimes months in advance, go to wewantpicks.com and click become a member. Every single one of our bets, including exclusive ones, will be on there. Weonpicks.com at the top. Click become a member. It's only $2.50 a week. That takes us to a newer addition on the card. We got Miranda Maverick taking on Shanna Young. 
Miranda Maverick is a technical striker with solid forward pressure and takedowns. She's very strong and she uses her strength really well. She averages a little more than two takedowns per fight and she is coming off that bounce back win over Sabina Mazzo where she had four takedowns, four minutes of control time and a second round submission. But it wasn't just her striking that looked good in that fight. She had fantastic leg kicks and managed that range really well. So showcase her grappling and her striking in that bounce back win. Shanna Young is a solid boxer who isn't afraid to fight in the pocket and has some decent power. She's very tough and she doesn't stop coming forward. She's a good wrestler in her own right, but has no takedowns in the UFC and she does have some gaps in the BJJ department. She's coming off her first UFC win over Gina Mazzani, where she, you know, even though she was taken down, she was able to work up and eventually get that knockout. The way you beat Miranda Maverick is you pressure her and bully her. She wears damage on her face, which could help the judges. But the reality is, I don't see this fight staying standing long enough for Shannon to inflict much damage. I see Miranda coming forward, working inside, getting the takedowns, and doing her classic bully to the ground style. Exactly the same thing she just did to Mazzo, but likely a little more straightforward because she won't have the incredible reach to deal with. Maverick can be a parlay piece at these odds, minus 400, but I don't expect them to stay there much longer. So if you're going to jump on Maverick at minus 400 or throw in a parlay, you got to do it now because those odds are definitely going to move. Then we've got Sean Woodson taking on Luis Saldana. Sean Woodson has great boxing, and he was actually a legitimate boxer before moving over to MMA. He's very long, and he knows how to play that game well. I don't normally care about reach, right? I'm always trashing people that just pull up topology, and oh, there's a one-inch reach advantage, so clearly this guy's going to win. The reality is most fighters do not know how to use reach. They can have it, but they don't use it very well at all, right? We just saw that with uh, Granger versus uh, whatever the hell her name was coming back after that layoff. Oh, she's so long, eight-inch reach advantage, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. She got smoked. The range meant nothing, and that's the reality in most, most, most of those situations. Sean Woodson, on the other hand, absolutely knows how to use that range really well, and he manages distance and like I said, he's one of the few people that does that distance managing, range management, using the reach really well. And given how good his hands are, most people are going to try to take him down. But that's not an easy task because Woodson has an 81% takedown defense. Historically, the knock on Woodson was that he didn't have much power. But he finally showed us how much power he actually has in his last fight against Colin Anglin. Luis Saldana is a very versatile striker, both offensively and defensively he likes to fight on the outside and his ability to move out of the way but still land strikes is incredible he's got a solid striking differential of almost five to two which he keeps with his consistent in and out of you know range management he's constantly in the pocket hit outs working out of the pocket still hitting it's incredible how he does that he has issues with wrestlers but he is making adjustments and he has been training with henry cejudo but i don't imagine he's going to need much wrestling in this matchup, at least not defensively. I have not been the biggest Sean Woodson fan in the past, but his last fight really opened my eyes to how talented he actually is. Luis Saldana is probably the better overall mixed martial artist, but I don't think his 20% takedown accuracy is gonna be enough to get it to the ground. And without the threat of the takedowns, this is gonna remain a kickboxing match with Woodson being the far superior striker. So the pick is definitely gonna be Sean Woodson here, 
But Saldana has a very clear, albeit tough, but clear path to victory with the grappling. I just don't think he's going to be able to do it. Then we got Yanan Wu taking on Lucy Padalova. And if you check out Lucy Padalova on Tapology, you'll see that, you know, she's had her last six fights in a promotion called Octagon. But the reality is she's actually a UFC vet. This is her second stint in the UFC. She had seven fights in the UFC, but she was on a four-fight losing skid before they cut her in 2020. She's got five wins in her last six, and she's getting a second crack at it. Style-wise, she's a powerful striker who likes to circle while throwing heavy one-twos. She doesn't have the most volume, but she stays busy and throws with intent. Yanan Wu is a very good Muay Thai striker who has grappling if she needs it. She moves well and has good volume. She doesn't have a ton of power though, but she does have the footwork, cardio, and enough technical skills to outstrike and outdecision sort of the unranked lower level of this division. I was surprised to see Wu Yinan wasn't cut after her loss to Bueno Silva, and I'm surprised to see that they brought back Lucy Padalova. She had five losses in the UFC already. It's only been two years, and... Right now, Padalova is the minus 150 favorite. I imagine the bookies and the betters basically just looked at her last five fights and just threw up a line because Yanan Wu is genuinely better everywhere. Yes, she's one and four in her last five, but she's been fighting the higher level of competition and those losses were competitive, right? She didn't get flatlined. She didn't get steamrolled. I like Wu to be the busier striker, the better grappler and get the win here. But guys, I can't say this enough. Betting low-level women's MMA seems like a nightmare. Uh, I still might do it here. We're going to see, right? I cast on the Priscilla Cachera bet uh, at UFC San Diego. This might be one of those situations, just ignoring how good Yanan Wu actually is because of her recent record. If I get some solid plus money closer to that 2-1 to one plus money, I might throw a little bit on Wu Yanan. But we'll see. We have to see if those um, we have to see those odds move, and then I'll punch them. If I hit that line, you'll see it as a premium member at weonpicks.com. Click become a member at the top. You'll have access to all of our bets, including the low level uh, trash women MMA women's MMA bets that I may or may not throw up there later in the week. Then we got Jared Gordon taking on Leonardo Santos. Jared Gordon's a good wrestler with solid pressure and striking. He bounces between featherweight and lightweight, and you can see the size difference in some of those matchups. This is his third fight in a row at 155, and he seems to have settled in. He's 1-1 one and one at this weight class with a fantastic win over Joe Selecki, and then that submission loss to Grant Dawson. He was outgrappled in both of those matchups, but... In the Selecki fight, he was able to find success striking and maintain a solid striking differential of 5-3. to three. Leonardo Santos is on the wrong side of 40. He's coming off back-to-back -back losses after going eight years without one. He's a phenomenal BJJ practitioner, a seven-time world BJJ champion. He's a technical striker, and despite looking a bit soft in the belly there, he does have deceiving power in his hands, which he showcased in his one-punch knockout over Stevie Ray a little while ago. But cardio can be an issue for him, especially at his age. So to summarize Leonardo Santos, he's good everywhere, but he's starting to slow down. It's a very tricky fight because Leonardo Santos is incredibly dangerous on the ground and on his feet. Jared Gordon was taken down seven times by Grant Dawson and four times by Joe Selecki. And if Santos can get him down, I imagine it's just game over, right? He wins that fight and that's it. 
but his takedown accuracy is only 29%. And with his cardio issues, he could need to get them early, which is not easy to do. So while Santos is the more dangerous guy, and he's got a very clear path to victory, I'm going to go with Gordon here to stay tough, keep the pressure, and grind out Santos. I think this might look like Jared Gordon versus Joe Selecki. He might get taken down, but he's going to stay tough, win those striking exchanges, and get it done. I mean, look at the strikes landed per minute volume. I think that is going to be the difference here. And some of these guys, regardless of how, how strong they are, how good they're going later in their career, once they start to lose, it is a steep drop-off from there. Then we got Tyson Pedro taking on Harry Hunsucker in what is probably a title eliminator light heavyweight fight. Tyson Pedro is probably not a name that you're familiar with because he only has one fight in the UFC since 2018, but he does have seven fights in the UFC total with wins over Paul Craig, Khalil Roundtree, and Ike Villanueva just a few months ago in his return. Tyson's a pretty well-rounded guy, but more of a grappler than anything. He doesn't have the best takedowns, but he has no problem charging forward to get one. If you overcommit to your strikes, he'll drop down and double-leg you and work through it. Once he hits the ground, he is looking to strike more than submit, but if you scramble or try to work your way out, he will snatch something up. He's coming off a first-round knockout over Ike Villanueva where he showcased his hands and that even after three years away, he can still be a threat. Harry Hunsucker is a big, heavy-handed striker with surprising speed and march-forward combinations. He will literally just come charging forward and throw flurries of punches. He'll mix in the occasional kick, but nothing meaningful. He does have takedowns, but they aren't clean, right? He comes forward with those flurries, gets you against the cage, and then trips or drags you down. The odds on this fight are insane. These are some of the dumbest odds I've ever seen. This is a low-level, light heavyweight fight, and somehow Tyson is a minus 800 favorite. Minus 800 favorite. That is legitimately nuts to me. I get it. Harry's coming off two very quick knockout losses in a row, but they were to Justin Taffa and Tai Tuivasa, who both hit like trucks and have cement heads. Both of those guys would knock out Tyson Pedro as well. Tyson's coming off that nice knockout win, but that was over Ike Villanueva, who's 38 years old and a 500 fighter. I honestly want Harry to win. I want him to win this fight so bad. These odds are stupid. Anybody betting minus 800 on this level of fight on a card like this deserves to lose their money. Tyson's two and three in his last five. He was stopped twice. I can't make a pick at this point. I'm just so annoyed at these odds. I'm just, I'm like not thinking clearly. Just do this. I mean, frankly, Tyson probably wins, but don't bet on any of that. Just bet on does not go the distance. One of these buffoons is getting put out, period. And then under the round line, you might get a one and a half line. Under that is probably still safe. And then Monkey Knife Fight Knockout Kings. If you don't know what that is, Monkey Knife Fight's Daily Fantasy. Just go to wewantpicks.com slash MKF. They have a prop game that allows you to pick any three fighters on a card, and if one of them wins by KO or TKO, you get 25% net profit. Any three fighters on a card, which means double these two up, one of them's gonna win by KO or TKO, and you're gonna cash. It's guaranteed free money. Weonpicks.com slash MKF. Don't bet an individual money line here. I like the under on rounds, most likely. Does not go the distance. And Monkey Knife Fight Knockout Kings. We'll just have to see when those props drop, what those odds look like, because I imagine... Most people are going to feel the same way. 
Then we've got a decent heavyweight fight. We got Marcin Tybora taking on Alexander Romanov. Marcin Tybora is a very durable guy. He's a grinder who never quits and he's just busy everywhere. His striking is just okay. And he's more of a punches in bunches kind of guy. The strikes are really there to set up his takedowns. And if he gets the takedowns, he's going to pound on you until you quit. And he doesn't really look for submissions. Tybora averages a little more than one takedown per fight. But he has a low 32% accuracy. Instead of clean doubles and shots, he relies on body locks and trips to get it to the ground. Alexander Romanov is a fantastic high caliber wrestler. He's a massive human being with incredible speed and power that he uses to take you down and pound on you. His nickname is Kong, which is fitting, and he has that Brock Lesnar style. He comes charging forward with crazy power, and he's just so athletic and fast for his size that it's hard to stop that moving train. He's coming off a pair of very dominant wins over strikers, Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman, but his fight before that was a controversial decision over fellow wrestler Juan Espino, where Romanov's holes were exposed. And when I saw this fight and I saw Romanov was minus 350, my gut was immediately like hammer him, take that line because Romanov is a freight train and he's going to run through Tybora. But if you take a second look at it objectively, there are con some concerns, right? For one, Romanov hasn't really fought anyone who's anywhere near the top 20 in the division. Meanwhile, Marcin Tybora has 15 fights in the UFC, and he's fought people like Ben Rothwell, Sergey Spivak, Stefan Struve, Derek Lewis, Fabricio Verdum, Andrei Olofsky, and other high-level heavyweights. The second flag is that when he fought someone who could take him down, Juan Espino, he got taken down four times. So if Marcin Tybora comes forward and uses his wrestling, he can have that same success and steal this win. But with all of that being said, I am still all in on Romanov. I think he's too big, too fast, and too athletic for the lumbering Tybora. And while Marcin has takedowns, they're trips. And I don't see him getting close enough to Romanov where he's going to be able to trip him, right? I think he gets that close, Romanov's going to blast double. Romanov's definitely the pick. I've got money line bets on him. If you want access to that bet, and all of our other bets on this card, go to wewantpicks.com, and at the top, you will see a button called Become a Member. Click on that. It's $2.50 a week. It's nothing. It's nothing. And it gives you access to all of our bets. And we place these bets weeks, sometimes months in advance, and we're trying to get ahead of these lines. And we've been pretty successful getting ahead of most lines. Wewantpicks.com. Click on Become a Member. Then we have one of my favorite fighters of all time. We've got Jose Aldo taking on Marab Davishvili. At this point, everyone should know who Jose Aldo is. He's the greatest 145-pound fighter of all time, a longtime champion who's good everywhere. He's a great counter-striker with very technical Muay Thai, great BJJ, and very good wrestling. His leg kicks and counter-striking are a nightmare for almost everyone, but he is aging. He does have miles on him. He's much older than the age you're going to read on Tapology, and we've talked about that in the past. Historically, he was a leg kick machine, but he seems to have put those aside, and he's now primarily a boxer, but he still does have very good speed and incredible timing. He's on a nice three-fight win streak with wins over Cheeto Vera, Rob Font, and Pedro Munoz. Marab is a very different matchup for Jose compared to his last three opponents. He's had great conditioning, and he's a nonstop chain wrestler with solid striking and power. He times his takedowns incredibly well, and even if he doesn't, 
it doesn't matter because there's another shot right behind it ready to go. He averages an insane 7.3 takedowns per 15 minutes. And his last loss was in 2018 to Ricky Simone, who he still took down six times. Rob's coming off a great win over Marlon Marias, who is honestly the wish version of Jose Aldo, where he was 90% knocked out, but he was able to survive that, got it to the ground, and then ultimately got the stoppage win. It's a tough pick, man. This is a really tough pick. Jose Aldo is a legendary striker with legendary takedown defense. Marab is an insane wrestler whose chin can be touched. And if this was a few years ago and Jose was still lighting up people's legs, I would instantly jump on him. But I think without the leg kicks to try to slow Marab down, I think he's going to be defending takedown after takedown and eventually lose a decision. The problem is Jose has never really lost to a wrestler before. Connor beat him, but that was a two-second punch. Max beat him with volume. Volk beat him with volume. Piotr beat him with power. Nowhere in his 27 Zufa fights is there a wrestler who was able to beat Jose Aldo. Frankie Edgar is the only person that has ever taken Jose Aldo down more than one time. And Frankie lost that fight. Think about what I just said. Jose Aldo, 27 fights under the Zufa banner. He's fought everybody in two different divisions, and only one person ever took him down more than once. That's absolutely incredible. That is what has me worried in this matchup. I do think Marab is a different animal when it comes to shooting takedowns. And unfortunately, father time comes for everyone. Marab's going to be the pick. I'm going to be rooting for Jose Aldo the entire time, and I will gladly get this pick wrong. But you know what the bet is, guys? Bet online has my new favorite prop bet of all time, and it's just most takedowns. And all that prop bet means is between these two fighters, between Jose and Marab, which one of them is going to get more takedowns? We hammered that line on Jason Witt, cashed big time, and we're going to do it again on Marab. They're not, you know, it's not dropped yet. They dropped those on Tuesdays. I'm recording this on Sunday. As soon as that drops, I will likely hammer that line because even if Marab loses this fight, as Jason Witt lost his, you're still going to hit the bet. We hit the bet with Jason Witt. We got paid. And we're going to hit the bet with Marab because Jose Aldo's not going to be shooting takedowns. He can knock Marab out. He can win a decision. None of that shit matters. Marab will get a takedown. And if he doesn't, you get a refund. Go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. We've got five betting partners. Click on bet online. Sign up. Make a deposit. I will send you $50 as a thank you for supporting us and our partners. I'm definitely hammering that the second it drops. And if you want to see all of our other bets, become a member at weonpicks.com. Then we got the co-main event of the evening. We got Paulo Costa taking on Luke Rockhold in his return. Spoiler, I'm a big Luke Rockhold fan. That's not a spoiler to the pick, though. Paulo Costa is a massive human being at this weight class with a ton of power, a ton of output, and a surprising amount of cardio for his body. He comes forward with heavy fast punches with a relentless pace as well. On average, he lands seven significant strikes per minute, which is double almost everyone else in the division. He also has a very good takedown defense at 80%, which he will need here or might need here. And you might disagree with my statement that he's got good cardio, but I'll tell you, go back and watch that Yoel fight because it is clear that he was dead tired, but he continues to push the pace and not let up. So while he will visually, like you can tell this dude's exhausted, 
it doesn't stop him. He continues to push the pace, continues to come forward. And to me, that's all that matters. Not what you look like. Are you pushing that pace? So solid cardio for Paulo Costa. And some of you might be watching this and you might be newer to MMA, which is totally fine. And you're not going to know who Luke Rockhold is. But he's the former middleweight champion. He won the belt in 2015 when he destroyed Chris Weidman. He did then lose it in a rematch with Michael Bisping where he was flatlined with an overhand. Some might call that a lucky punch. Luke's a very talented wrestler who developed his hands and he turned into a kickboxer. So while he is a credentialed wrestler, his fighting style is rangy striker. He was a part of American Kickboxing Academy at its peak when they had Daniel Cormier, Khabib, Loop, and Cain Velasquez. All four of them were champions, just not at the exact same time. They're the only camp I think ever, someone's going to try to correct me here, that could have had, genuinely could have had four champions at the same time. And Luke was a very big part of that success. At some point, this sport passes you by. Luke coming back at 38 years old, at middleweight, meaning it's a higher weight class with some real power floating around, after three full years away is going to be tricky. He does look amazing in training footage, but he's been plagued with injuries for years. And as of late, he's been very vocal about fighter pay and we don't get paid enough. I think Luke is coming back because he loves to fight, obviously. And I think that's because he this is how he earns a living. I think he genuinely needs to come back, make some money, and then go on with his life. But shooting to the top of the division, he's going to fight the number three ranked guy at this age after that layoff. I think it's going to be too much too soon. I love Luke. I'd love to see him as champion again, but I just don't see it happening. Listen, I've said it 10 times and you guys hate when I plug things, but this is how we keep the lights on. Premium members get access to all of our bets as we place them. And premium members watching this know that I threw a money line bet on Paolo Costa last week at much better odds than you're going to get on Paolo Costa today. I expect that line to continue to move as people settle in and start to look at UFC 278. So Paolo Costa money line bet, I got it at much better odds than you're going to get it, but you're still going to get it today at better odds than people who are watching this on Friday and Saturday will become a premium member. We want picks.com at the top. Click become a member. You'll get access to all of our bets early before the lines move instead of after we've placed them and then record a few days later, et cetera. So Paolo Costa, absolutely the pick. I love Luke Rockhold, but man, first fight back in three years is who they give you. That's a tough go. Then we've got Kamaru Usman taking on Leon Edwards in a rematch this time for the title. Kamaru Usman is on the fast track to becoming the greatest welterweight of all time. He's an accomplished wrestler, but he doesn't even need to use his wrestling. His striking is technical, and as we saw in his knockout over Masvidal, he's got some real power. We've seen him come back after getting dropped against Burns. We've seen him out-wrestle opponents. We've seen him in wars. We've seen him knock people out. At this point, Kamaru Usman is incredibly dangerous, and we aren't far off from discussing if he was the best to ever do it. Honestly, one or two more wins, and I don't know what the case for George St. Pierre is anymore. His lone loss was all the way back in 2013, and that was his second pro fight. Leon Edwards is a very well-rounded fighter who unfortunately became a household name after George Masvidal smacked him in the mouth backstage, and I think that was at UFC London a few years ago. That was where the uh, three-piece and a soda came from. Poor Leon Edwards getting cracked on camera. He does have very nice body kicks. He's got very nice boxing, 
Very nice wrestling. He averages more than one takedown per fight, and he was able to take down Brian Barbarena three times in that matchup. Gunnar Nelson twice. Rafael Dos Anjos three times. That was a good win. And he's really good everywhere. He's got great cardio and solid fight IQ. He's coming off a pair of interesting fights, though. The first was the eye poke to Bilal, where he won the first round, and then an unintentional eye poke ended the fight in the second. More recently, he's coming off that win over Nate Diaz, which was supposed to be a five-round striking match. Nate landed 50 more strikes than Leon did and had him on the ropes late in that fight, so much so that Leon had to lean on his wrestling with four takedowns. So I think it's fair to say Nate outstruck Leon Edwards but didn't have the killer instinct to get it done later in that fight. Leon clearly won that fight. So before you come at me and say that he, you know, oh, Andrew, Leon won that fight, but I don't think it was as dominant as everybody was expecting it to be. And we don't need to overcomplicate this breakdown. Leon Edwards is very good, but not good enough. Usman already beat Leon in 2015. In that fight, he had six takedowns and 11 minutes of control time. I don't even think Kamaru's going to need his wrestling in this fight because I think he can win this anywhere he wants to. Kamaru is the very clear pick for me. And again, premium members get access to our bets early, and you will see that I placed a... A bet on Kamaru Usman money line at minus 335. He's already at minus 400. I imagine this dude's going to blow past minus 500. I could be wrong about that, but we've already been ahead of the curve on Kamaru Usman. Premium members, hopefully you followed me on that bet. And if you're not a premium member, become one now. We want picks.com at the top. Click become a member. It's $2.50 a week. Even if we have a trash week, one decent week makes up for many, many months and pays for that membership. $2.50 a week. I'm telling you right now, the best value in this entire sport. We on picks.com. Click become a member. And if you want 50 bucks for free, $50 for free, go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. Sign up with any one of our betting partners. Make a deposit. I'll send you 50 bucks. Thanks for the watch. Like, subscribe, and watch our live Tuesday night breakdowns.